commit ourselves to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks this morning for life, for family, for innumerable blessings that we experience every day. We give you thanks for the freedom that we have in this land. We, we are so blessed. But Father, nothing in comparison to the blessing that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the temporary blessings, but Lord, we want to be taken up this morning with the eternal blessings that come our way to all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we make much of our Saviour this morning, and uh, this is a day where we remember he was born, where God became flesh, he took upon himself human form, and uh, Father, it was key to your redemptive plan, and so... We make much of this day and give you thanks for your Son whom you sent to this world. And so, Lord, we give thanks for one another. We just give thanks for your goodness and kindness to us. And we commit the rest of our time together today to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're going to have a little bit different. This is going to be a shorter service, by the way, and we know that you all want to get home and be with your families and have that Christmas lunch, so it's going to be a condensed service, and um, that's why we're dispensing of morning tea like we usually do, okay? And uh, I noticed everyone bringing a lovely plate of goodies in there, but if you want one of those, you can have them, but... Okay, Margaret did. Okay, so feel free after the service to make your way home. And um, But of course, if you want to stay and linger, you can do so. I did have some PowerPoints, but there was a glitch in my system. No, I won't say it's my system, I'll say it's Peter's system, um, where, where uh, I had the actual text of Scripture up on the screen, but it's not there. So if you'd open your Bibles to Galatians chapter chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4 and we'll commence reading if you follow me in your Bibles or your devices in verse 4 and it says this But when the fullness of time came God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And may the Lord add a blessing to that reading of his scripture. You know, sometimes, I'm sure we all have used expressions like just in time or wow, wasn't that perfect timing? Especially we see, when we see an action or an event happening where there's a good outcome. Okay? And we all know that expression. And in our text today, we see that God also speaks of a just in time or a perfect timing action or an event, if you want to call it that. As a matter of fact, this perfectly timed event is a linchpin in God's plan, his eternal plan, that results in a good outcome. The good outcome being our salvation for those who believe in him. Because the text says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. You know, that's an incredible statement. It's an incredible statement. In other words, 
Here we have from eternity past in the Godhead, God planned an exact time. Before time began, God planned a time. A moment, an appointed time. And that time was for Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to make his perfect timing into this world. It's an incredible statement. And this Christmas morning we celebrate God's perfect timing. That's what we do. That's what we are doing. For when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. You know, our text today will help us see that firstly, God's something of God's preparation for this timing. And then secondly, we will see also that God had a purpose for this appointed time. And then thirdly, out of that appointed time, privileges come, become the, uh, the privileges of, every, of all those who believe in him. So we have preparation, a purpose and privileges. And the first thing about the preparation that God uh, went into, the verse says in verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know, when you read the Old Testament, it's always a highlight coming across prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus. And there are many of them. And wow, your lights go on and, and, and your mind races ahead and you straight away take in a larger gamut of scripture. You think of the New Testament gospels explaining and, and, and going into detail of Christ's birth. And so it's always a highlight. And um, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, um, there it tells us that the Messiah would come and he would be born of a virgin. You know, how exact is that? Hundreds of years before the Lord was born. In Micah verse 5-2, well-known verse, we get really specific and there it is prophesied that it's in Bethlehem that this Messiah would be born. And so we see all these prophecies being fulfilled as Jesus was born that glorious night, which we are celebrating today. But what is also glorious is seeing how God sovereignly works out providentially and he prepares the world for the birth of Christ. I really love to see how everything kind of fits in. It's like a jigsaw and we see many pieces being fit in. So first of all, we know that there was religious preparation for the coming of Christ. Did you know that? There was. There was really a lot of religious preparation for the coming of Christ. You see, because Israel, because Jesus is an Israel uh, Messiah, he was a Jewish Messiah, and the nation of Israel at this stage when Jesus came was a nation that had experienced discipline under the hand of Yahweh, under the hand of God, for her rebellion and for her rejection of the prophets and God's ways. And so God had arranged powerful superpowers on his behalf to discipline his nation Israel. And of course you think of the, the, one of the big ones in Israel history was the nation, the nation of Babylon. And there Israel was taken into 70 years into captivity. And, um, and it was during that time God fixed for good Israel's tendency to be idolatry, to worship idols. And even right to the day, since Babylon never has Israel as a nation gone into idol worship. 
even if it's only in name today, they still look to God. They are monotheistic, can we say, not polytheistic, where they have many gods. But also, stemming from the time of Ezra, we see that um, the whole Jewish Bible has been brought together into one volume. From Ezra right up to the time of Christ, it's been brought together into one volume. Before there was just a book here and a book there and, and some were still being written, etc. But here it was one volume and so now the, the nation could look at the whole, what we would call the Old Testament and there they could see the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. Another major religious effect of the Babylonian captivity was that the Jewish synagogue came into being. Prior then, there was no such thing as a synagogue where the people of Israel worship was in Jerusalem as the one temple. Well, that all became fragmented. They still had a temple of sorts in Jerusalem, but it wasn't enough to cater. And so there were many synagogues developed up and down through the land and even in other countries at the time of Christ. And of course, you know the important place the synagogues played in even Jesus' ministry on earth but especially the important place the synagogues played in the apostles' ministry, especially the apostle Paul. What did he do when he went out and preached the gospel? He went to a synagogue, right? And so all this preparation, this religious preparation took place wonderfully and it was God's perfect timing. But there was also a cultural preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, in 350 BC, just a little bit of history here, there was a man who was named Alexander, that we know him as Alexander the Great, and he conquered the then known world. In 12 years, this young man um, conquered the world. And so Greek influence, because that's what he was, he was Greek, the, uh, the Greek culture became a powerful influence over the then known world in language, in literature, in thought, in philosophy. It, it pervaded the whole then known world and even Jews all became familiar with the common Greek language. And of course, when Greek language is, is spoken, what do you do? You have to have literature. And so the, old, the whole Old Testament was translated in to Greek. It's known as a Septuagint. And uh, so, once again, this is great preparation. And um, that was in about 280 BC. And of course, we know the importance of, of spreading the gospel. Uh, you know, there were, not only Jews could read the, the Old Testament, then it was Jews and Gentiles. Greeks and Jews all over could read the scriptures. But there was also a political preparation for his coming. When the fullness of time came, who was in power when Jesus came? Rome was in power, right? And um, because they had overpowered the Greeks and the Romans were, one of the things that they were known for was they built what? Roads, right? The Roman roads. They built roads everywhere. They connected all their main cities with roads and they, their whole uh, policy of infrastructure was building roads and of course we know how important that is. People could travel and the gospel then could be taken here, there and everywhere because why? The Romans built roads. And God also engineered those who would be in power in Rome. At the coming of Christ, who was on the throne? Who was the, who was the top gun? It was a guy called Caesar Augustus. And uh, little did he know that when he called for a census of all people, under Roman 
rule, they were to go to, back to their city of origin and be documented, be accounted for. But little did he know that he would be doing the exact will of God. And two of those people were Joseph and Mary. And so they made their way back to Bethlehem in obedience to the edict of Caesar Augustus. And so Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, was guided by the sovereignty of God to a place prophesied in the Old Testament where Jesus Christ was to be born. And all the way through that, providentially, God has used men and powers and governments and culture, etc., to bring about his purposes. And then our text tells us that Jesus was born of a woman under the law. Literally, that means that Jesus was born of a woman. It means that he was fully man. Okay? A fully man. And he also was under the authority of the law. And so God moved men religiously, culturally and politically to usher in his next key, Jesus Christ. But what for? What, what, what did Jesus Christ come for? And this brings us to our purpose. So we've had our, our, our planning, our preparation, and now we have our purpose. We see this in verse 5. The purpose is to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, there was, there was a whole lot more to the birth of Jesus than a mere baby or to create for us a holiday. A whole lot more than that. God and Jesus Christ had eternal purposes for us in mind. But he also knew that those eternal purposes would come at a great cost to him. He came to redeem us. That's what he did. He came to redeem us. And when we mention and think about the word redeem, straight away we think of cost, right? He came to redeem us. This same book tells us back in 13 of the prior chapter, or verse 13 of the prior chapter, he came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And the curse of the law, what it does is it condemns all those who are guilty or under sin. And the Bible clearly states that every single person is under sin. We're under the curse of the law. But Christ came to redeem us from that, to free us from that. And so Jesus came. So he came, what did he do? He bore our humanity. He became man. And then he willingly bore our iniquity and then willingly died on the cross in our stead. And so because of that substitutionary death, as we call it, Christ forgave us and he cleansed us and he's freed us from the Lord's demands against our sin. This is the simple gospel here. So Jesus came to redeem. He willingly paid in his own blood the price that God demanded for our sin. So Jesus, who was fully God at that set time, was literally born to die. Some people don't like that. Some people don't want to look at the whole story of why Jesus came, but that's what he came for. He was born to die. And then he also came to adopt us. It's another purpose. You know, the great news and the outcome is that those who personally believe in him and the purpose for why he came is that we become sons. I wonder if you noted that. We become sons. That's a, that's a precious, I love this truth. The word adopt in the Greek means son placing. Okay? It means you're placed as a son or a daughter in the family that enjoys every privilege and right that a true and real son does. 
It's no second rate. We are placed into his family. So he came not only to forgive our sins, but to place us into his family. And, you know, he didn't merely forgive us our sins and say, okay, you're right, on your way, off you go now. No, he received us to himself and he made us, see that, he made us his sons and daughters. Surely we think, as we think of Christmas, we dare not and cannot, as Christians, stop with a babe in the manger, right? But we must continue on to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because it was on our behalf. And then further again, we must think of the great outcome for us here, for those who believe. In other words, because of that set time, Christmas is not merely a one-day celebration for us. Christmas is all about God intervening in the affairs of men, of mankind, to bring about an eternal adoption to all those who believe. But this truth also allows us to be confident in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to have confidence um, in, in, in the Lord and what he's done for us. And as we think about that, we can have confidence because God now is who? He's just not some distant figure estranged from us. God is our eternal Father. Our Father. That's awesome truth. So there's great dignity and grandeur in being a child of God. And then lastly, we have privileges. And this is what it says in verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer son, a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. So Christ came to fulfill his plan at a set time. His plan was to redeem and adopt repentant and believing sinners. And so here we are now as adopted children, as adopted sons, glorious privileges have come our way. We've been taken from our orphaned condition, can we say, and we've been placed into his forever family, as we also say here at New Community. We're no longer slaves in bondage to self and sin, but now we're under a new authority. God is our Father. Don't you love that? And just as we have some of our fathers, all of us here, whether we like it or not, all of us, just as we have some of our earthly father's DNA in us, all of those who are truly adopted have God's spiritual DNA abiding in them. And that is the ever-abiding, present Holy Spirit of God. And as children, you all know, as children, they call out to mama, call out to their fathers. They have confidence in their parents, in their natural fathers. As believers, those who have been adopted into the family of God, we can now confidently and have the privilege of calling out and depending and looking to our Heavenly Father. But, also, but more than that, we see that we are heirs through God. You see that? We are heirs through God. We not only have received the Spirit of God, but we are heirs through God. In Christ we become joint heirs of God's kingdom. So all our Christy presents that we get today faded to, are not even worth mentioning when we think of that great gift. The riches of God's abundant grace and his kingdom are ours through Christ and in Christ. 
That's great news. So let's recap as I finish here. Every believer is a child of God, a recipient of the Holy Spirit, an heir of the kingdom. We're no longer slaves of sin and under the curse of God's law, but we now are redeemed, adopted and made sons who are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ according to Romans 8 verse 17. Now folks, it can't get better than that, right? Praise the Lord. That's why believers in Jesus can rejoice more than any other over the appointed time, this Christmas time as we have today. God prepared for that first Christmas because he had redemptive purposes for the first Christmas. He has gifted us immeasurable privileges through Christ who was born on that first Christmas. And I do trust that all here this morning, by faith, come to understand and believe from the heart that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Because that is the whole true story of Christmas. May the Lord bless and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you all peace this day and forever.